0: Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie, And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories
1: and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia. This week, Carrie and I are delving into the wide world of baked pastas. Of course, we're going to talk about lasagna and our slightly different takes on the dish, but we're also going to explore other kinds of baked pasta dishes, shells, ziti, orzo, things with red sauce, things without red sauce, dishes with cheese, dishes without cheese. As always, I continue to learn from Carrie. I feel like she masters the art of comfort food, especially the kind of comfort foods that you can tuck away into your fridge or your freezer, make ahead of time, and deliver to a friend when they might just need an extra meal. But also, these are just great dishes to have on hand for that cold night, for something comforting, for something warming. So stay tuned to hear more, and thanks so much for listening.
0: Hi, Carrie. Hi Sonia, so good to see you. So nice to see you. So today we're going to talk about baked pastas and this is a space I think that you particularly excel in. I'm excited to kind of talk about what baked pastas do you like and that you have had success with and are there any new ideas that you're looking forward to cooking and baking this fall.
1: I mean, I really appreciate you seeing me this way because I don't even think of myself as particularly this is my zone baked pasta, although I, ju- I just love throwing things in casserole dishes and baking them. So I think that's why I naturally like end up experimenting. But I'm also curious, like what I think we can't do anything without talking about lasagna briefly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm really curious to hear about your lasagna because I feel like it, I've never had it. And I know without having it that it's amazing.
0: You know, a couple years ago, I decided to go into the lasagna bolognese category. And I I had never made one before. And I did actually did it for Halloween. We were hosting Halloween with some friends. And I knew that I wanted to be like involved in the party. So I made all of these baked pastas ahead of time and just reheated them for the party. You know, I will say lasagna bolognese is a real project right because you have to make the bolognese and then you have to make a bechamel and then you have to assemble it but if you plan ahead you can do them all with ease because
1: you can make a bolognese sauce weeks in advance
0: yeah and throw that in the freezer and then you know the day that you make the bechamel you know you can you can assemble that with with the bolognese you don't have to do all that in one day and then you can leave that to sit for a couple of days and then just bake it on the day that you're planning to serve it
1: I never think even thought about making bechamel in advance, but I think what you're starting with is actually a really good point, which is about actually what traditional Italian lasagna is as opposed to sort of our American Italian lasagna yes. which is not what you're describing so like there and correct me if i'm wrong my understanding is that an Italian traditional lasagna would have a bolognese and a bolognese that doesn't necessarily have tomato and it would have a bechamel and it would have been handmade lasagna noodles i'm curious if you Used a recipe when you made this kind of lasagna Or if you kind of just winged it
0: I did use a recipe for that one And I want to say it was from the New York Times It was maybe like a Melissa Clark I can go back and find it And we can absolutely link it You know, I definitely grew up with Kind of a more American version of lasagna That's like very cheesy and very meat sauce With lots of tomato in it And listen, I'm not mad at that either I think part of me was really curious To make this dish myself Because actually right after we had met. And we came home from um, hospital I remember coming home with a newborn baby And feeling very overwhelmed And having all these feelings And, you know, James said to me Like, why don't you just go take a shower And then when you come back When you, like, feel better And I heard something at the back door And one of my friends dropped off a warm lasagna bolognese And it just was the most comforting thing that I needed in that moment. And I didn't even ask for it.
1: You know, you're touching on another really good point, which is that I think the thing that's so wonderful about lasagna is the memories attached to it. Yes. I think lasagna is something we're often gifted or we're often eating in a moment where we need comfort. And Mm -hmm. like, as you were talking about your incredible postpartum lasagna experience (laughs) and then a specific type of lasagna, makes sense to me that you would be recreating it It made me think immediately of my favorite lasagna moment, which is like not even close to that significant but my brother and I after I graduated college I got the present from my family of getting a, tri- a ticket to Europe to go on a summer vacation. so it was like my graduation gift what and a gift it was a great gift yeah. and my brother and I went together actually and the best lasagna I've ever had was on that trip. We were in Amsterdam which is not a place known for lasagna. But for whatever reason, you know, when you're like in the middle of traveling and you're tired and you're hungry and you walked, you know, 24,000 steps or whatever it is, we weren't tracking steps then. And you're just walking all day. It's just like this piping hot. And it was such like an American lasagna. So that to me is kind of where my brain goes. And I just want to share one other. We're connected by lasagna in this weird way because John Bernard, our friend who set us up on our blind date, because the reason we met his favorite food in the whole world is lasagna
0: oh my god
1: specifically vegetarian lasagna because he doesn't mix milk and meat because of laws of kosher he just doesn't do that part of our friendship was we would i would trade services for lasagna like oh wow you, you could get him to do almost anything if you promised lasagna and so i started developing a recipe kind of for him but it's the way i always make it and i so i never deviate like because i actually think lasagna is kind of a fussy dish
0: yeah i <laughs> agree i mean it it has many steps right and you know when i think about making lasagna i I often think about if you did all those steps in one day, you've had kind of an exhausting day of cooking. But if you thoughtfully break them up, in my case of making a lasagna bolognese, making the bolognese a few days or a week in advance or even a month in advance, that really cuts out like so much time and so much prep and all those things. So, But what you just mentioned is actually a vegetarian lasagna. And And I want to know about this vegetarian lasagna that used to trade services for how
1: <laughs> and not that like, I would ever put John out or do something horrible, but it was just a good way to be like, hey, if you could help me with this, I'll make you lasagna. And he'd be like, I'm in, I'm doing it. And, um, and actually when he's come to visit us here in Portland, oftentimes I've made lasagna for him for his arrival. Yeah, so I always make it the same way. And I don't know that I ever followed a strict recipe. I think I kind of just winged it. One thing I will say is like, I love your idea of the shortcut of making things in advance. And I think you could do that here. The second thing I'll say is that I used to be very afraid of those no-bake lasagna noodles. I didn't trust them.
0: Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. But
1: now I kind of swear by them and I actually think they're worth it because I think the most annoying part of lasagna, unless you're making your pasta from scratch, boiling those big, noodles that always break and get stuck together and flop around is such a pain in the tuchus as it was, you know? (laughs) So I just, I really like Italian lasagna sheets that you don't need to pre-boil. Anyway, so my lasagna is heavy on the sauce. I think that most people don't put enough sauce and they end up with dry lasagna. And in fact, I've done that and I like a saucy lasagna. Now everyone's going to have a preference. I'm just sharing mine. So I make a lot more sauce than you think you need, or you could use rayos or your favorite jarred marinara. And then I make a ricotta mixture with thyme and sometimes basil or parsley like but definitely thyme for some reason I like that in this lasagna
0: interesting it's a weird
1: ingredient that's an
0: interesting that's an interesting addition I think
1: I think I picked that up from Ina Garten on one of her lasagna recipes
0: okay
1: I wilt a ton of spinach but I also have done it with chard pretty much more
0: more the more delicate greens not like a kale exactly or a cabbage or a collard, but more like a chard or a spinach you know, greens or a spinach, right? Yeah.
1: Or a beet green. Yeah. All work well. And then I've also sometimes sautéed a layer of mushrooms too. If I'm oh, like yeah. really feeling ambitious, I'll just sauté some mushrooms and that will be a layer or I'll mix that with the spinach. So then I do lots of sauce, pasta, Ricotta, then I usually do mozzarella, like a semi-firm mozzarella, so it melts, and lots of grated Parm or Pecorino or Asiago, one of those mixes. Okay. The vegetables, and I layer it, and and always the top has a lot of sauce. And sometimes I'll throw cheddar on the top of it too. And then oh, wow. if you're gonna make lasagna, I just feel like go all out, make the version you like. Like yes. that's a but one thing about the veggies is that's where I don't go too heavy because if you add too many veggies, then it just gets soupy and mushy.
0: Yeah, that's the balance I think of a good lasagna because you want it to be toothy in the pasta category, right? Yeah. You don't want it to be just like biting into vegetables. You want I um, want like a the toothiness of the pasta.
1: And you don't want to see of like zucchini, you know, like I've had vegetable lasagnas where it's like yeah. mushy zucchini and peppers almost like ratatouille in the middle of the lasagna and I right. don't want that. Yeah. So th- my spinach is on top of the ricotta. Or- it's like its own distinct A very thin layer so that it's just the element of vegetable. It's almost even for color. It's in there but you're not tasting spinach. You're tasting
0: the balance
1: of cheese and sauce and pasta.
0: I mean, I'm putting in a request right now next time (laughs) I come to Portland.
1: I like the sound of your bolognese lasagna.
0: Yeah, the bolognese lasagna really delivered. I mean, my number one baked pasta dish is stuffed shells. I love stuffed shells with my whole heart. I've been making them since high school and I love a a shell because it can hold the cheese, and I love to stuff the I, – I love the – the mixture, the cheese mixture, to be very green, like I like a lot of greens chopped into it. You know, there's something about it that feels both really rich and really virtuous because you've got pasta and cheese balanced out with these garlicky greens.
1: You have to explain how you make it because already it sounds a little bit like my lasagna, but in shell form.
0: Yeah. So usually, what I do is I work with the ricotta mixture. You know, ricotta. I definitely add some kind of sharp cheese, like you said, grate or um, mince a lot of garlic into. There too, right. there's usually like a couple of eggs to kind of hold it all together, and then I just chop up a ton of greens. And I've definitely used all different versions of greens, but I mean, I grow a lot of kale, and so whenever I am harvesting that stuff, I'm usually just pulling it out, giving it a minimal saute to bring some of the the water out, and then chopping it as fine as I can and putting it, mixing it into the bowl with the cheese and the eggs, and then really in this space too, one of my favorite marinara sauce to use is the Marcella Hazan tomato butter gravy. or you know, I mean,
1: whatever. that's the best tomato it's the sauce. the best tomato
0: sauce. That's
1: the best, period. Yeah. No one needs another one.
0: Yeah, it's really, it just delivers. And again, you you can pull that out of your freezer. Like, you can make that days in advance, a couple of months in advance even.
1: And I just want to back up and just briefly say the Marcella Hazan tomato sauce is literally crecan tomato, onion, and butter, and that's it. And it's just her method of the way you make it, which is very simple. It takes less than an hour to make. And you
0: don't even have to chop the onion. That's you the don't I do also love about the onion. Yeah. It just has this beautiful onion flavor, but you didn't even have to chop it.
1: We'll definitely link that recipe. Yeah.
0: So to me, hands down, stuffed shells is like the place that, that I – always go to in this category. And the one piece that is worth mentioning is that when you're stuffing, when you're cooking the shells, you want to cook them in a really big pot so that they have space because they are bigger. It's a bigger piece of pasta. You know, I'm a pretty good eater. I probably only eat four or five shells in a serving. That means that they're big. And so they when you put them when you go to boil them, you want to make sure that you have a lot of space. Then I always try to undercook them, yeah. right? You have to. I don't want them to be so soft after they've baked. So it's like finding that balance. It's on the toothier side of al dente, for sure.
1: It has to be. I think you're absolutely right because it's going to continue to cook. In the sauce, it's going to absorb the moisture from the cheese and the greens. So it's going to soften, but you want it to hold its shape. You don't want it to all turn into, again, mushy mess. You know, the thing about stuffed shells and lasagna also makes me think that there was a brief period where I got into baked ziti. I haven't made it in a long time, and I think it was around when the Sopranos were really popular because they were constantly eating baked ziti. And if I see something in a TV show, it makes me want to try it at home. Do you have that experience?
0: Absolutely, yes. Although I – so I am a confessed baked ziti lover, and I will say I am not above the baked ziti at Sabaro, which is the where I discovered baked ziti in my you know teenage years. But I've never made it myself. And so I'm curious what – because I doesn't it almost have like a pink sauce on it. Like, yeah, I, I think because it's the
1: mixture of ricotta and tomato it's sauce. Nice. And because you're not layering it, you're kind of just throwing everything together. It all sort of melts into each other. And it's funny that you said Saparos. <laughs> Am Sibaro. I saying that right? Yeah.
0: yeah um, small. Because yeah. what I
1: think about too <laughs> with baked CD is I think about like Pizza Hut pasta or like airplane pasta to me is also big C D. Like, like any and I actually sort of secretly like my baked. ZD mushy as opposed to so we're talking about al dente with
0: it's like you almost need it to be like this sort of mushy because that's kind of how you came at least for me that's how I came to the dish is that I want it to be this sort of like mushy comforting it's not meant to be like a culinary experience per se
1: exactly it's meant to be real (laughs) Italian American comfort food and so yeah I think the times I've made it it's been pretty and also because it's easier like with lasagna it's layering with stuffing shells you're stuffing shells and not that that's so hard but it's some you know some There's work involved
0: simply yeah
1: yeah but with ziti it's like you boil some pasta and then you th- throw it with some sauce and some cheese and some you could do crumbled meat or you know whatever you like or a meat right. sauce or more cheese
0: yeah i think the sabaro version was just a vegetarian version anyway you know i think you're
1: probably right i'm not, i actually think yeah. i've only eaten there once at the mall once and like <laughs>
0: that sort of reminds me of another baked pasta dish that i also made at this same halloween a couple of years ago and it was actually the first time that I. I made ratatouille and I know that we just talked about ratatouille, but I really wanted, I don't know why I was having this like super strong feeling about hosting this dinner and knowing that everyone was going to be eating a lot of candy and a lot of treats. I just felt like everyone needed vegetables for dinner. And so I decided to make a vegetarian ratatouille pasta. Mm. And so what I did was I made the ratatouille recipe, but I actually kept the tomatoes out of it So it was just eggplant, zucchini, peppers, onion, garlic, thyme, rosemary, all those with plenty of olive oil, and I roasted them all separately and then roasted them all together. And then while that was kind of doing its thing, I cooked some pasta and I tossed it in the Marcella Hazan tomato gravy. And so the pasta had flavor and then all the vegetables had flavor. And then I combined them all and I added mozzarella cheese balls and a little bit of goat cheese and I baked it all. And it was
1: perfect.
0: It was unbelievable. I think the one thing I would add to that in the future is something that you and I bond very, very, very strongly over, which are garlic toasted panko breadcrumbs.
1: I think with a lot of these things, it benefits from a garlic, even a big ziti would benefit from a garlicky toasted buttery panko, which is literally just melting butter and garlic and breadcrumbs together and And toasting them, them, letting them toast till brown over, not too high of a heat because you don't want to burn it. That's it. And that on salads, on casseroles, on baked pasta, on soups, it's like, where doesn't that taste good? But it's, yeah. it's funny you said that because the other week when I made Ratatouille, inspired by our conversations a while back, what I did is I took leftover Ratatouille and one night I boiled off some fusilli noodles and then I added the Ratatouille to the noodle, to the pasta, and then I crumbled in some feta and then I just tossed that all together and the Ratatouille became the sauce for the pasta.
0: I mean, it's like we're food friends. <laughs>
1: It's sort of like we're food friends. But I think I was definitely channeling you in that moment. There's this category of baked pasta that I feel like I've mentioned before to you and you haven't totally been sold on and I want to revisit. Tell me. (laughs) And that's orzo.
0: Ooh. Because you're
1: not – a big orzo person, right? No, We've talked about that.
0: I don't have a strong feeling about orzo. I think I'm really interested in your orzo ideas because you also really love it. And I feel like every time you have an idea about orzo, I'm I'm so intrigued by it. I just don't really have a language with it.
1: I know what you mean. There's, like, certain things that you just don't – aren't, like, incorporated into your world. And no. you are not against them. They're just not on rotation. So this is why I want to bring orzo into your field of vision, as it were. <laughs> um. We got, really, table, yeah, we got really into Orzo the past few years because Jonathan often likes to add noodles to soup. And so I used to always have egg noodles on hand, especially when I had the deli, I had these wonderful German egg noodles that we would sell. And those are so great in like just about any soup that would benefit from a noodle. But I think the one day we were out of all of them and I had Orzo on hand. And so I was like, oh, we could just put Orzo. And then he was like, I love Orzo. So now we have to have it always for <laughs> soups. And we still like egg noodles too, don't don't get me wrong. The other thing is I started cooking orzo in some unexpected ways. Like, So basically I discovered what's great about orzo too is you can cook it in liquid in the oven and it will bake kind of like rice. So you don't have to cook it off first, which is like, again, why this falls into the baked pasta category. And I learned this because my father keeps very, very strict kosher. And to cook things for him, and people who understand this will understand what I'm saying, you have to double wrap everything in foil. Otherwise, my oven isn't kosher for him. I had to do a whole bunch of special preparations if I'm cooking for him, which doesn't happen that often. But I realized that if I threw in orzo into like a tin baking, you know, like those foil, because I had to use something- I can use any of my own cookware. I can add orzo, garlic and onion and good broth or whatever I add in, maybe even water. It cooks in the oven and it came out really good. And it came out a little bit more risotto-y, like it wasn't as al dente. Wow. And so I started to play around with that because I really like it. And so now I kind of sometimes will just throw some vegetables, some orzo, a little liquid of any kind, broth or not. And some like feta or some, you know, goat cheese would be nice and just let, like throw that in the oven and let it sort of bake up and cook.
0: That sounds amazing and that's that's also where I think you don't realize the brilliance that you it's so second nature to you and when you throw out these ideas like I literally don't ever cook with orzo and I would never think to do that. I'm a very limited rice baker to begin with. I make rice one way it's on the stove. It's very basic and so you know there are these similar dishes where you make like a baked rice and you put all these vegetables in and it's vegetarian it's very herb and delicious and i'm like you can do that in your sleep i mean i'm excited to have you share these recipes because i need to write up a
1: recipe yeah because i don't i always wing it which is not helpful for other people and also not always helpful for myself because then i have no memory of how i did it i know with this baked orzo one time i did chicken thighs so like i seared some chicken thighs bone in skin on and then i put them in a baking dish with orzo and I maybe like fennel and onion or some kind of mix like that. And that with a little white wine and a little broth. And then I bake that in a, you know, in a Dutch oven or in a ceramic baking dish, something like that. And that was like a kind of one pot Orzo chicken. It, you could put rice in its place. It doesn't have to be Orzo. And I like the creaminess of Orzo when it bakes. It gets kind of, like I said, risotto like.
0: Yeah, that sound, it sounds so delicious. When I was thinking about sort of bringing some ideas to the space, one of the other things that came up for me is, a cauliflower pasta bake. You know, there's so many different ways to cook with cauliflower, right? And it gets really sweet. You know, it's in that same family as like cabbage and, you know, when you cook it down it it just I don't know, it like breaks down in a really beautiful way. And I think if you cut it into bite-sized pieces and then there's this Allison Roman recipe that I use which was like cauliflower and like tons of shallots. Like I love her affinity for shallots because I also love shallots. It's like shallots, garlic, cauliflower, and you cook them in a – Pan, and then I toss that with pasta and then you toss it with cheese and then you put some br- bread on it and you throw it in the oven and you could do all of that ahead of time a couple days in advance and then just bake it to reheat it on the day that you're pr- planning to serve it.
1: For that are you cooking the cauliflower? You're obviously cooking the shallots. Are you cooking the cauliflower before you mix it with the pasta before you bake it?
0: Yes you're cooking the ca- it kind of caramelizes the cauliflower before you cook before you bake it all together. So it actually doesn't need as long of a bake. It's not like a a lasagna that needs an hour or longer to bake. It's actually a much shorter bake.
1: Like the kind of way when you would make like mac and cheese and you would, you make it on the stovetop, but then you bake it off in the oven.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That same idea. So I did that at the holidays a couple of, like a couple of years ago. And that was such a winner too. And it also involved garlicky panko breadcrumbs, toasted panko breadcrumbs, which to me is kind of a must in this space in some ways.
1: Well, if you're going to have a very soft baked thing, it's nice to have the sort of savory crispy salty thing on top yeah and i love a heavy cauliflower mixed into pasta like i think it just breaks up the richness of the pasta the heavy stodginess of pasta so the cauliflower adds such a lightness so i love that in a baked casserole of any kind and it made me think of this thing i just had the other day which i wish you were there with me um there's (laughs) this there's this restaurant in portland called sweet lorraine's and they're a jewish dairy restaurant and in fact like Portland doesn't have that many Jewish restaurants, so they're sort of unique. A dairy restaurant is just traditionally a restaurant that there's no meat served there, which is the case here. And so they have, and they serve a lot of like old school Ashkenazi Jewish dishes. They focus on latkes, but they also make you know black and white cookies and matzah soup, vegetarian, and all these and knishes. They make knishes. They're one of the only oh my places God, I
0: love a knish. Yeah, that makes love. like
1: fresh homemade knishes. But I went there the other day, and they had this special, and he had this. The chef had this broth. Cheddar Kugel. Oh my gosh. And a kugel, you know, is like a, a casserole. It's a Jewish yes. casserole. And it could be made with lots of different things. It's off a noodle kugel and it's made sweet. But this was definitively a savory noodle kugel. So it was made with egg noodles, lots of cheddar, some kind of egg custardy, you know, base, and tons of broccoli. And I feel like it had caramelized onion or something. And it was so good. And it's not even like necessarily something I would ever order, but something called to me and I can't get it out of my head.
0: I really wish I was there to eat that with you. And I definitely am a latecomer to kugels. You know, I didn't grow up eating kugels and I didn't, you know, I grew up eating tons of baked pastas and casseroles and things like that. But to me, a savory kugel is this world that I feel like I've missed out on for a very large part of my life. So I'm, but it's funny, you know, usually a kugel has some egg in it too, yeah, right? Yeah, it did. And, And so one of the things, and I feel like we might have touched on this in another episode at some point, but I have always thought of spaghetti pie or pasta frittata is like an interesting place to use up leftover pasta and or kind of have this protein heavy vegetarian meal. Have you ever made a pasta frittata or like a spaghetti pie?
1: Yes. And I remember us talking about this once in the frittata episode, because I think it is such a nice way to use up leftover spaghetti and I've been meaning. To make one since we talked about it
0: When you mentioned the kugel That's like a great way to use up What you've got in your. you know a frittata Is a great way to use up what you've got in your fridge But especially if you've got like a little bit of pasta You've got some eggs you've got some vegetables You can really create Such a great dish and this This is essentially a baked pasta Too right you kind of like saute everything Together on the stovetop and then You put it in the oven and get it bubbly And then you serve it
1: And it's like I said it's a great way to use something left like if you have leftover noodles of any kind or leftover pasta. There's sort of like a last baked pasta dish I wanted to ask you about because I feel like you may have grown up with it. And I didn't, but I always wished it was something we had in our house. Did you grow up with tuna noodle casserole?
0: I did not.
1: You didn't?
0: No, I didn't. I mean, that's like a very Midwestern kind of casserole, but my family, we didn't eat tuna. Like, we You didn't? didn't? We didn't really eat tuna at all. No. Oh my um, God. Oh,
1: that's right. Because you don't even like tuna sandwiches that much. I'm not
0: like this. I'm not that big. I mean, you've converted me into only your tuna salad <laughs> sandwich, really. But yeah, definitely. I didn't eat a tuna noodle casserole at all. Um, so that
1: doesn't even appeal to you.
0: No, I don't know. I know that you're going to like give me a hard time about this, but to me, also (laughs) the smell of it, like I did not want to smell like a tuna noodle casserole in my house. I just wouldn't do it.
1: That's a good point. I mean, like I said, I never grew up with it. It was just something that would come up on TV shows and sitcoms. And I was always so curious about it because I like tuna, but. I feel like it's had a comeback in recent years. I'm going to have to dig around and see if there's a good recipe out there. I don't know that I'll ever make it, but I'm just sort of curious about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll just offer like, as your food friend, you might be romanticizing this <laughs> this idea in your mind in a way that reality would just not play out so well for you. Honestly.
1: <laughs> I'm sure there's people listening though, who grew up on it, love it, make it. I feel like it's like one of those sleeper hits that people still love.
0: Yeah, no. And I'm curious, listen, if there's a if there's someone out there that has like a hard take on this, we would love to hear from you because are people still making tuna noodle casseroles. I actually have one more that I want to bring oh. up to you that I'm interested in making, but I've never made. And when I was doing a little bit of just research and, Thinking about what I wanted to talk about, there's a Deb Perlman recipe that is a riff on an Otolenghi recipe where she makes – it's called a winter squash and spinach pasta bake. Yeah. And have you made this or have you seen that? I know
1: this recipe, yeah.
0: Okay. What I think is very intriguing to me about this is that you don't cook anything. You don't pre-cook any of it. You put it all into a springform pan. So the the time that it takes is just like assembling it. And then it takes like 90 minutes to bake or something. It takes like a really long time to bake because you don't cook the squash. You don't cook the noodles. You don't cook the spinach. And somehow it all melts into each other, into this really beautiful, it's a spaghetti pie. It's like a pasta pie.
1: Why have you not made this yet? It I sounds like-
0: this it. is I'm such a
1: carry discovery. I remember seeing it too. But I think what I didn't do was read the recipe, which is where the genius is. Because, right, like if you see the finish, finished product, you don't think like, oh, this is Stuff I don't cook. You think, like, oh, I have to cook yeah. the squash, I have to cook yeah. the noodles. I never dug deeper to see. Th- and also, why a spring form pan and not something else? Do you know?
0: I didn't read that much about it. I just thought, like, oh, well, I wonder if Sonia's made this before. This is, f- I'm putting this on my fall list, my fall you, dinner you list. You must
1: before. report back. I can't wait to hear about that. I'm so fascinated. It sounds perfect. And that's the thing is I think there's the time and place for the elaborate baked pasta dishes. And then I love an easy baked pasta dish. And to find another one, like you found that great, we've talked about it a million times, the great cauliflower farro parmesan Parmesan recipe from the New York Times that you and I both make and we make because you found it for us. And I feel like (laughs) this could be another one in that category of great finds. So we'll definitely link it, but I think you need to be the guinea pig and let us know how it is. I'm sure it's amazing.
0: Well, it's funny that you mentioned the cauliflower farro parmesan because when I was reading it, that's exactly what it reminded me of is that it's an assembly dish. And that's what she said. She was like, basically, the longest part of this recipe is actually just the oven. And I was like, well, just the oven. I can do laundry. I can do all kinds of other things while this thing is baking. And
1: it's even not an assembly dish. It makes me think of like a snacking cake, a snacking cast. Control. Like yes. you're talking about things thrown. You, it sounds like the hardest part is like chopping up some vegetables, which is a yeah. which is yeah. pretty normal for a recipe.
0: I think it's nice to have some of these gateway recipes where you know whether you're our age or whether you're someone who's in their teenage years or even in your 20s and you kind of just have your first apartment and you're starting to cook for yourself. It's nice to have a dish where you kind of throw everything into a bowl, you bake it off. And it comes out beautifully and you don't have to stress that bechamel is going to break or that, you, you know, you're going to accidentally burn the bolognese or whatever those things are. There's a really big bullseye, easy to make, and then the, it yields this beautiful dish. I think that's a nice place for people to be able to go to. And also for even people like you and me to go back to. Yeah. Because I don't want to spend like the whole day in the kitchen. and A lot of times I don't want to spend yeah. the whole day in the kitchen. Yeah.
1: And anyway, just even the more elaborate ones, I just love the idea of like making components in advance and freezing them and not, you know, the, it's just yeah. those little things that make it easier on us, I think, are always welcome. Yeah. So-
0: yeah, exactly. Well,
1: I am so excited to make some, I don't know what,
0: ZD stuffed
1: shells, <laughs> pumpkin I'm pasta.
0: zd to too. That sounds amazing. All right. Well, until next time, we'll report back. And if anyone knows about tuna noodle casserole, shoot us a line. We're all ears. We're all ears. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast,
1: please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you. So follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at
0: foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating.